So a piano has a massive range from the highest notes that are really quite squeaky to the very lowest ones and everything in between. And it's tempting to think that even if it's pleasant to the ear, that mid-range, that that's the only acceptable thing. But how much poorer would we be if that were the only notes we were allowed to play? Welcome to Leaders and Managers Hub, the podcast. We're joined today by a very special guest, Alice Davichak. Welcome to the podcast, Alice. Thank you, Ray. Alice, I, I think we, we should disclose, uh, for the fairness of disclosure, um, that that you're, you're not just uh, a typical guest that we have. You and I have trained together. You have whether you intended to or not, you've you've coached me um, for free. It's amazing. And and, and you've been a, a big influence on my learning and on actually on my practice as well. So I just wanted to share that with our listeners um, so that because we, we may reference things that seem a little bit more familiar than we might normally do. So just to, to put that out there for everybody so they know where we're coming from. Alice, tell us a little bit of you, our, our listeners um, are always engaged by our guests' backstories. They love to hear a little bit about, you know, what what has life been for you that that brings you here and has um, brought you to us today. Well, thanks, Ray. Um, before I start, uh, I just want to say a little bit about kind of your introduction, and um, you know, we've known each other for a number of years. And the coaching has been mutual, can I just say. Um, I also consider you a great friend. Thank you for that. I was born in Ukraine. And I left at the age of 19. Which, not disclosing my actual age, is quite a long time ago. I went to America with an exchange program, which was really scary at the time. But it seemed like... An amazing opportunity and a feeling of crossing the boundary for me. I was extremely homesick when I went, extremely. And I count the years in America, I lived there for six and a half years, got both of my degrees there. I count them as some of the happiest years of my life. Partly that might have something to do with the fact that I was young and, you know, the college, the university was all fantastic. Um, I also got married. Uh, when I was in America so life was good and then my husband and I moved to the UK 23 years ago now and it was more of a culture shock to move to the UK um, from America than it had been to to go to the US in the first place I found people very very different culture very different and it took a lot of getting used to I had my first depressive episode then, combination of life events and maybe natural propensity as well. But it was hard. The first few years were really, really hard. 
my formal education is is more alongside of business and accountancy i have a bachelor's and a master's degree in the subject love the numbers and i think what i loved about the most was that fact that you can it's like taking the chaos of life and and putting things in their proper boxes things made sense i remember I first, for my graduate program, I first um, got accepted into a prestigious MBA program and I stayed in it for about a month and a half. And I remember sitting in a marketing lecture and thinking, that is just a load of fantasy. How do you know this actually is going to help business? How do you know that all of these marketing actions are going to actually make the business grow? So it, it, without the figures, it just all seemed like conjecture. Um, so I switched over to the accountancy program because it was concrete, it was black and white, it was specific. I like that. So skipping some of the steps in the UK, I followed the finance route for quite a long time until in one of the jobs I got placed as a, as a people manager. And then I realized I didn't know people at all did not have the first clue about what made them tick, why some people listened to me and others didn't, just didn't get it. Um, and so I went to study and did a bit of psychological education um, for a couple of years and things began to make sense. Somewhat about other people, but mostly about myself. And what I didn't know at the time was that the beginning, that was the beginning of a really exciting journey for me. I discovered that there was the unconscious, that what we're aware of is such a small percentage of what drives us, what makes us feel, what makes us think. And the fact that you could actually tap into it was an amazing piece of learning. And that's something that I'm doing to this day. I work with the unconscious mode. So again, long story short, um, I trained as a psychotherapist um, and used some of the skills in, in um, my finance career, which continued to climb the rungs in the, in the corporate world. And at one point or another, um, it was at the time my daughter was born. Um, she was about four years old then. Um, I couldn't really combine... I couldn't combine the, the pressures of working in a demanding environment and, and, you know, in a responsible role and also being there for my family. While she was at nursery, that was all right because that was nine to five. You could, you could work around that. When she went to school, it was suddenly nine to three and there was 13 weeks holiday. And it just, it, you just could not compute that with, with a full-time job or even a part-time job. Um, we didn't have any family around, so it was just us. Um, and at that point, I decided that having solved a whole bunch of problems for other people and built services and departments for other people, um, I wanted to see if I could do, if I could build something by myself. So about 10 years ago, I left. I thought, right, I, I, want, to, I want to build a business. And at that point... I, I wasn't really practicing as a psychotherapist at all. I thought, well, what do I know how to do? And it was the numbers. So I set up an accountancy practice 
not really know anything about how to run one. And I thought, well, how hard can it be? It's not hard. I know a little bit about how business runs, so it's not hard. Well, that was a bit of a mistake in thinking, wasn't it? And I'd, I often describe this as a as a vertical journey, vertical learning journey, because every day was just incredible in terms of the amount of learning that I'd had to undergo to understand what it's like to be in business and to survive in it. And it may be for this reason that I have a, a particular fondness for, for people who run their own businesses, for small and medium-sized business owners, so SMEs generally. They tend to be a special breed of people. Um, and I love working with them because I kind of get what they have to go through. Partway through this journey with, with my accountancy practice, I have come back to working with people. Um, I've retrained as a coach, uh, qualified with the International Coaching Federation. Although in reality, the work I do is sit somewhere between coaching and therapy. It is quite nice to be able to work with issues that are deeper rooted than just the behaviors, if you know what I mean. The majority of coaching models work with the behaviors. They don't really look any deeper. Um, and gradually this line of work begins to take over um, my other business, which is, you know, the accountancy practice. And I'm a lot less of an accountant now. So Ray, when you asked me to think about the introduction, you know, what, how, how would I describe myself in two or three lines? I struggle with that. And the reason I struggle with that is that I'm an accountant. I'm also a business owner, an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm also a therapist. I'm also a coach. Um, and apart from that, I have, um, I run a farm. And so I'm many things. And I imagine I'm not the only one who 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 is many things. And I guess just like with the bookkeeping and with the accountancy, where I wanted to find a home for everything, it was either right or wrong, black or white, debit or credit. And I think there's a temptation to describe ourselves with just one thing. You know, I am I am this, I trained to be this, and now I'm that, you know. And, and I'm a success, therefore. My own therapist introduced this idea that perhaps instead of being one tree, perhaps we're an orchard. We grow a number of things in our garden. And I really like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm somewhat of an orchard, really, these days. Uh, so the image that I immediately have is of a very stout tree with a a, a vast array of branches um but i i think for me the 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 stout trunk is is very important because all of these things the accountant the therapist the coach the mother the you know all of these things are all you wouldn't be these things in this particular way if it wasn't you so so whereas an orchard and i, I don't know enough about biology to get into the whole trees talk to each other, blah blah blah. I know that is a thing, but I I always imagine you as a as a as a very as a very stout tree with a lot of very well developed and newly developing branches. 
um, just to give a little bit of a spin on on the metaphor. <laughs> um, I want to come back to something you said at the very beginning, which is is it's quite interesting to me because we often think here in the UK that ourselves and, and the good old Americans are are quite similar. Um, and a lot of that is because um, we share a lot of DNA. Uh, we speak a, a common but fastly diverging language. You said that actually the transition from the US to the UK was more of a challenge than the transition from the Ukraine to the US. What, what was that about, do you think? It's a good question. And I have to emphasize, I'm only speaking for myself and through my own experience. Um, of course. This is not a comment on how people are in general or particular cultures. For, for me, there was a lot of difference from the point of view of curiosity. There was the absence of curiosity that I have encountered encountered when we moved in terms of people didn't really appear particularly interested in us as newcomers in yeah so it was it was quite a cold and unwelcoming world that I've experienced and it mm. may just be down to where I was in the UK and but having lived here now for 23 years I think there is some of it is deeply seated. When we first, when we bought our first house in Leicester, there was a lady who lived across the road from us. And two years after we moved in, she comes over with a cake. And her opening line to me is, so you're staying then? And th that was kind of, I guess, representative of, of, of my experience. Whereas, you know, in America, Again, where, where I lived in, in Kansas, people were, appeared to be very open and welcoming and everybody wanted to know you and about you. They were interested, they were curious. I didn't find that when I moved here um, two decades ago. So yeah, there was a little bit of, a little bit of you're not like us, you're different. I can't connect with you because you're different. And so the response had been to, shut off to to reject so mm. that but that has been my experience i i i do i feel a lot of empathy with that view and that experience because as an immigrant to the uk myself and coming from a a country like ireland where everybody wants to know everything about you they want to know all your business and and there's a sense of entitlement to your to your business. Um, in the UK, my experience has been that it's not necessarily that people are any less curious, but they're certainly less overt about their curiosity, uh, and much more. I I don't know if it links back to the <clears throat> to the British sort of uh, stiff upper lip or or aloofness generally but they they don't want you to notice that they're curious and they get very uncomfortable if it's made clear to them that you have noticed their curiosity so it might absolutely be killing them to do so but they will give it two years 
<laughs> to see if you're going <laughs> to hang around before they'll approach you. But in that two years, trust me, they've been curious. <laughs> and, and I can say that as a as a somebody who has both Irish and British heritage. So, you know, I'm not... Uh, I'm not slagging the Brits off or anything like that. It's uh, I, I'm I am as British as I am Irish, and uh, therefore, you know, I'm saying that perhaps as much about myself as anything else. Mm. But I I was just curious about it because, you know, on the face of it, it would seem such a such an a, a much more extreme change from the Ukraine of of that decade to the U.S. But I guess also. You know, when you're a lot younger, you're a lot less concerned necessarily about other people's curiosity and, and it's all shiny and new. And, you know, we change as well in our perspective on what's going on around us changes. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's also something to do with age when you're 18, 19, you know, your eyes are wide open and you adapt a lot quicker to differences. Um, whereas a bit later in life, I think we're much more set in our ways. So mm. are a little bit out there. It's it's more difficult to connect because it feels more dangerous. Mm. It feels different, other. Mm. And so coming to the here and now, obviously, as I said earlier, you and I have have trained together at, at, at the, some of the same institutions um and and we you know we were part of various uh process groups and 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 other things um so you're and again not to want to create your introduction for you but you know you're you are a chartered accountant you run a accountancy business an accountancy practice you are also a qualified and licensed psychotherapist and um, you are a qualified and licensed coach now on the face of it people might think whoa you're you're using vastly different skills there in terms of the the, the pure sort of very mathematical logic of accountancy in its rawest form um versus uh, really having to tap into your intuition as a coach and a therapist. You, you've also talked about that in, in terms of how you practice, you you love to work in that in that space, and you've mentioned it already, the unconscious. Um, and you've talked about how how certain uh, coaching styles are frameworks. Uh, encourage the coach not to really go too much into um, the 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 sort of the psychological and the existential levels. But if you want to work with the unconscious, you've that's where you've got to that's where you're going to end up one way or the other. So how do you how do you frame that in your own mind? So first, there's two parts to this. So first of all, how is that for you the the seemingly incongruence between accounting and therapy and coaching. And then second of all, on the therapy and coaching side, that working with the unconscious with people, how how does that manifest for you? 
You don't do easy questions, do you? Alice, we've talked about this one <laughs> how many times? And every time we've talked about it, I've often thought, oh, I wish I'd bloody recorded that. <laughs> Hence, I'm recording. I'm not going to not ask, am I? <laughs> Start with the first one. It's probably the easiest. That incongruence between accounting or seeming incongruence. You Maybe you're going to tell me there's no incongruence at all. I spent a number of years believing that there was an incongruence. To the point where I was hiding parts of myself, you know, to people who are um, my accountancy clients, I would never admit that I'm a psychotherapist. In fact, remember the time I couldn't even say it out loud. And people who are who I work with in 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 therapy and coaching, it would seem weird to say that you know I am a a chartered accountant also. There is an incongruence that sits with us, the either or, you know, you've either got to be good with people or good with numbers. Can't be both. And if you're pretending to be both, then there's something quite wrong with that. For me, the accountancy side is actually not that different to the therapy side because both are concerned with how things work on a practical level. When I look at a business, I want to see how it works. I want to see how it creates value, how it makes money in a very practical sense. I don't really want to hear the adjectives that come with that. I want to see the black and white, you know, kind of to to see the grounded view of it. On the therapy and the coaching side, the interest is the same. It's how do things work? What motivates a person? Uh, what's more importantly, what holds them back and why? So the question that I'm asking in both disciplines is the same. I'm not sure where, where, where the notion of incongruence came from. And given the world that we're moving into and where we're living, you know, we have to, we owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our environment to develop a variety of skills. Because the problems that we're going to be solving aren't going to be standard problems. They're not going to require just the accountants and the mathematicians or just the, you know, people who get the people's skills or understand what makes people tick. We need to look at the world holistically. So I don't think there is a lot of incongruence left. I think there is a remnant of it, a shadow of incongruence. But I think the question being asked um, and the parts of me as a person being exercised by these dissimilar disciplines, you know, I have them both and they both like a bit of a workout. I'd probably not want to be doing one or the other full time, all the time. In fact, the third thing I practice is being outside with the animals and, you know, trying to be a farmer. That's yet a whole different occupation. <laughs> oh, don't worry. We're going to come to that shortly. <laughs> 
I think, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, most of us have this. We, we don't necessarily call it a second business or a, or a third business. We might call it a hobby. We might call it an interest. And I think we, we owe it to ourselves to have respect for every part of us that has a curiosity and a wanting to learn in a particular area. You know, if we discard it, discard that interest and kind of go, well, no, I'm, um, you know, I'm this or that. If you think about, you know, the kids when they're young and, and we ask them, what do you want to be? Vast majority of them have no idea. But they will tell you they like doing A, B, C, D and E. They enjoy all those different activities. And somehow when we grow up, we suppress that and we go, I am a... Um, you know, a business manager, or I am a, a construction worker, or a project manager, or this and that. And the other. Well, you know it yourself. You are a project manager and a coach, and a podcast crafter. I don't know what the correct word is. Person. Creator. Person. <laughs> yeah. And so, how is that congruent? Well, it is because all those things represent different parts of you. so yeah that's that, that does that does that is that okay as a as an answer well yes and it was a bit of a cheeky question alice because actually i personally it's not my uh experience that there needs to be an incongruence and if i think of myself as a as a, a business owner like when 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 we are smes you know we we often don't have a a, a board and you know a a a suite of executives and and so our accountant who is quite often an, an external consultant is a key part of our team now if you have an accountant who just does the numbers that's fine and that's what you get if you have somebody who is curious and understands a little bit about the human condition to be able to understand what the numbers might actually be saying or at least have the skills to be curious then that is a much better service if you like for the small business owner because you know you're 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 getting somebody who who is able to ask the questions the numbers are saying this why might that be rather than just getting sent your accounts at the end of the year to review and sign off and and having a very dry technical run through. So I certainly as a small business owner appreciate the the lack of incongruence. In fact, the congruence between good uh, being a good accountancy service provider and also being somebody who uh has is is intuitive and curious. Mm yeah thank you that that's that's um that's a lovely thing to point out and as you were talking i was thinking about a um a coaching client actually who came because they didn't um, they struggled with with advertising they struggled with marketing and advertising and marketing was difficult for them all right so that was the the product of the or the the subject um of their work um and if a coach doesn't understand the nature of the business and how the money is generated in that particular business. Um, they probably would have stuck with that as a theme. When it became apparent that 
all of the revenue for that particular business came through referrals, personal referrals. The question became, what is it? What is the real problem here? You know, why do we feel we need to solve something that works well already? And is advertising and marketing going to solve that? So part of it is, is kind of being able to get the bigger picture in terms of what isn't working with the business. So yeah, I think I think both disciplines kind of for me go hand in hand a bit. But it is if um, you know, this is not to take away from the fact that for some people that is weird. You know, um, it's not it's not something that you see that you see commonly. Mm. Yeah, and that has to be has to be recognized. Hmm. Somebody gave me a great quote uh, recently. Actually, well, I'm going to quote them. So they didn't give it to me as a quote. They just said it, this fantastic piece of thinking. And so I'm going to turn it into a quote. Okay. Uh, and it went along the lines of, and I, I can't remember the precise wording, but I'm pretty close to it. People come to therapy, counseling, and coaching when they're, strategies their usual strategies are no longer working alice davidchak 2023 let's talk about that a little bit okay <laughs> nobody has ever quoted me back well i'm i'm actually i need, I need to ask your permission because i actually want to put it as a quote on my website um but we'll talk about that separately <laughs> That's funny because usually I get I get it back from my daughter, but you said, da, 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 you know. <laughs> well, I, I want to say again. it inspired me, um, rather than you know, it, it, this wasn't a parent-child uh, a transaction. Yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. Um, I don't know whether your listeners know, but we're we're quite fond of TA, both of us, and and we would frequently, um, deconstruct our conversations using TA terminology. <laughs> yeah. My contention is, is that for the most part, people are quite clever and adaptive. You know, one of the things that, that we really have as an asset that's going for us is the fact that we're able to adapt even to the worst situations and scenarios. And so if the adaptations work, we continue with them. When the adaptations start to fail, it you know people process this in, in different ways. So sometimes we start beating ourselves up that we must try harder, do more, run faster, you know, do the thing that that previously worked for us, but we do have to do more of it, be more efficient with it. And then you know often people would become exhausted. Um, another example of, of an adaptation is somebody who, because of very intrusive parenting they've adopted an avoidance style of attachment they would withdraw into themselves and find comfort in withdrawal up until the time when you know loneliness becomes unbearable and that person wants to reach out to other people but doesn't necessarily know how so what what they feel is discomfort and sometimes despair even and so they would go back to the usual strategy of withdrawal and finding comfort in in being alone except that doesn't work anymore so it's at that point where 
the pain of not having our needs met and the pain of kind of trying to to get a different answer to what we're usually getting becomes too much and then there's a subsection of these people who are brave enough to find another person and I want to say something about that um, because it's kind of been a theme for me for the last couple of days what I witness in the world especially amongst um, younger people and people who perhaps have done some work on themselves have been curious about themselves and and have been kind of walking that path what strikes me is that there is a culture of loneliness we are terrified of reaching out to another another human being on the other hand we have a plethora of people who want to help coaches therapists anyone and everyone in the uk 70 percent of of it's kind of what we produce in the UK is service sector. Okay, so we are, we are serving each other, be it business to consumer or business to business, doesn't matter. Well, we are, we're in the business of serving each other. And you only have to look at LinkedIn, you know, where people describe themselves. I help this, you know, people do this, people do that. But actually, in real life, it is really hard to reach out for help. Um, we feel it's going to take something away from us, I guess. So there is a there is a culture of loneliness. You know, we are, you know, as you said, stick up a lip, carrying on, not asking for help. And I guess in the TA terminology, help is, is more of a nurturing parent to a child transaction. So perhaps the perception is we have to become a, a child in order to ask for help. But there is a different model. There's an adult-to-adult -adult model that is delightful it is a beautiful way of creating intimate relationships where whether it be business or personal life um where we can walk together one doesn't have to be bigger than the other but somehow we are not very good at reaching out and not being alone with it so i was just reflecting on kind of you know <laughs> in anticipation of this podcast as, as you do uh, reflect on the meaningful points in my life and, and the one that comes to mind for me uh, well two and they're broadly similar and this is where I was in the company of people who provided that environment for me provided total belief that I could do it lack of judgment and what they provided ultimately was not non-aloneness if that, if that is there is such a thing you know, the being with, without trying to get me to do something, without any sort of vested interest, just providing their humanity to me. And those were the most memorable, memorable moments in my life. So as I look at people I know, and even my own interaction with others, there's an obsession with being strong and, you know, with kind of letting another person in so I think coming back to your question Ray I believe that a lot of people suffer from loneliness and so a lot of things we do are in in out of the desire to reach out and connect with somebody else 
It may not look like it on the surface, but I think ultimately a lot of what we do is about trying to connect. So going back to when the strategies are not working, the important thing is understanding what is it that we're trying to do? What, what's, the, what's the problem we're trying to solve with our strategies? You know, and then have a look at what other ways we're trying to solve that problem. And, you know, Melanie Klein talks about repetition compulsion. Um, every psychological theory talks about us replaying the battles that we struggled with when we were little. Call it the script. They're the unconscious, mostly unconscious behaviors that worked at one time or another. We were successful with them at one time or another. But if we hold on too strongly to them, we lose our ability to adapt this beautiful elasticity with which we adapt to our environment. And I think, you know, if we talk about business owners as a group, that group probably showcases adaptability, you know, the elasticity of being able to adapt to different situations. And I think we have something to learn there, you know, not holding on to kind of what's, what's worked for us, but doesn't seem to work now. So I'd say in conclusion, really, there, our desire to achieve whatever we're using the strategies to achieve. Okay, so there's got to be a goal there that we're trying to achieve. Our desire to get there and the pain of not being able to get there. I've got to be bigger, larger, stronger than a fear of connecting with somebody else and showing a vulnerability to somebody else, which is what your interaction with a therapist, coach, et cetera, going to be. And actually the same goes for a small business that, that decides that they're gonna talk to an accountant. You know, for many of them, it starts with the recognition of, shit, I don't know what's going on with my business, I have no idea. So there is, there is some recognition of vulnerability and we have to find that bravery to make that first step and to trust the other human beings that they're not gonna destroy us because we have suddenly revealed our vulnerability, right? So there's another bit of similarity there in terms of the group of people who are in the business of helping others, um, they have a great ethical responsibility to recognize that anyone who approaches them has to do that from the point of vulnerability. And we have to have the greatest respect for the courage that it's taken them to do so. And just just to say, because when I started to go through that very same process, one of the parts of that process I went through was to actually start to be very critical of my strategies. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important learnings for me was to appreciate that without those strategies, I probably wouldn't have been here. And it's not about beating up on ourselves. We, if you follow the TA thinking and you referred to it with, with script and, and what Fanita English talked about in terms of survival conclusions, you know, we, we lay down these strategies for survival in early childhood. And so it's actually unreasonable to expect that those same strategies would, would, you know, be as effective totally un, unadapted you know it, it t till the end of our life it's it's almost ridiculous to say that out loud that that would even be a consideration so actually it's not about throwing out casting away criticizing it's about understanding 
like for me it was about understanding where those strategies developed from and was that need current mm -hmm. and if it wasn't current what is the current need and does that strategy can i adapt that strategy to the current need or do i need to reformulate a different strategy mm. so you you mentioned a little bit earlier about trying to be a farmer uh, and, and i just have to say as a kid that grew up in a massively agricultural area i think every farmer is trying <laughs> i don't think everybody anybody ever really succeeds at farming Every day is a trying. I'm trying to be a farmer. <laughs> um, so farmer, psychotherapist, accountant, coach. And you have developed a retreat mm -hmm. using all of these resources that are available to you and all of these experiences that you have and all of these, these uh, insights and, and intuitions and skills you're currently in the process of bringing all that together uh, and and doing that and making that available to people in the form of retreats. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about that, please? So you referred to the farming bit. I just want to perhaps at the scene, because you've been to my place, you, you know what it's like. Yeah. Um, I think... Farming is probably a little bit, a little bit ambitious here. Well, it's certainly animal husbandry, isn't it? There is that. There is that. I have a, a selection of animals, and I've gone through um, through a process of collecting them. Um, I started with horses, and then I got some chickens and goats, and now I've got I'm breeding alpacas also. And I've I've developed an interest in alpacas a, a few years ago, and got onto this crazy alpaca train they're incredible animals I, I love everything about them I love showing them I love uh, just being around them they're very calming um, but there's a, a something that lived in my head that felt like a puzzle that needed to be completed so I kept adding the animals to complete the puzzle and at one point it was actually felt like the puzzle was complete it was great I'm now actually looking at moving to a different properties a different property and um, with with a little bit more land and I think I might go for emus next. If you think philosophically about what this money drain is all about, because that's how I survive it, you know, I have to think about it philosophically. It's a lot of work and a lot of money. I think that as well as as well as the, the coaching work, as well as the accountancy work, is about building an environment where things can grow. I love being able to build to build the environment uh, and retreats are partially that you know they're exactly that actually not even partially they're exactly that they are an environment for people to come and consider the issues that that are really important to them and I love the idea that they can spend some time with the animals because the animals have an amazing way of helping us connect with ourselves. They're free of games a lot of the times. Not always, but a lot of the times they're free of games in, in a TA sense. And they offer a genuine connection. And if we slow down enough to 
connect with them on their terms. It's a very moving experience. So the retreats are an opportunity for people to slow down, to feel cared for and nurtured. But it's also space to do the thinking. You know, the kind of thinking we're doing in, you know, when we walk or when we're in the shower, when we're not actually doing something, we're kind of in this third place, if you will. Um, previous retreats have produced pretty fundamental life changes for people. There was one person who um, came wanting to grow their business. By the end of the two days, that person realized that actually they didn't want to do that business at all anymore. And that their role in life was completely different. And then another, another person came and uh, they came with a question of whether or not to sell the current business. And following kind of a period of reflection and questioning and working through it with like-minded people, um, that person went away and actually discovered that the sale of the business was it was very important, but it was an enabler. And it was an enabler for them to kind of step into their full power and turn up on the global stage. So, yeah, people have amazing epiphanies. And I think the epiphanies isn't something I give them. Okay, my job is not to tell them what they need to be doing with their lives, because how do I know? My job is to create the environment and to ask the questions. And to validate, you know, the fears, the struggles, but also to notice what gets them fired up when their energy changes. You know, they keep using the same word over and over again. So I walk with them and I try the best as I can to not give advice because I'm not in their shoes. I'm not the one undertaking their journey. So that's what the retreats are about. Mm. And I love the idea of being able to create conditions where that connection with yourself can exist and can be heard. I thought of a metaphor actually the other day for kind of what it's like to connect with yourself. And everybody's experience is going to be different. So this is my metaphor and, you know, it's not the truth. As a, as a part of the backstory, I grew up in a family where, you know, other people knew the truth about everything and I was always wrong um, and I was very very used to being preached at um, and I desperately don't want to do that to others so whilst I will share my opinion it is my opinion it's not going to be anything like what you're experiencing you know or anybody else that's listening so, but I want to share this in case it resonates because resonance is the key word here. I think if we imagine ourselves as a, as a musical instrument, the way to connect with ourselves is to listen up for resonance. And the resonance may be both positive and negative. It may be something that, you know, excites us, that, that evokes some kind of emotional response. Or equally, it could be negative. It could be something that we really hate, really dislike, really irks us, you know. And those things that that touch us in, in any kind of way, positive or negative, they are both resonant. And they give us clues in terms of who we are and what our true emotions are. You know, so for example, 
if we're envious of someone, of someone's ability to speak publicly, for example, really envious of that. It gives us a clue that maybe this is a gift that we have that we're afraid to use. And what we're resentful of is the other person being able to use it so freely. It's not necessarily indicative of the fact that we can't do it. It may be indicative of the fact that we are not allowing ourselves to do it because somebody somewhere at some point in the past has taken away a voice. And it's not the skill of the public speaking, it's the fact that the other person has a voice. So the reason I, I mention it is that listening to resonance is down to, you know, when the, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, that's a resonance also, that's a massive one. By listening to those, we learn about the kind of inst instrument that we are. And the other part to that is that the only way that our instrument is going to be in tune and playing the best melody that it can is if we are sympathetic towards it. So whatever notes, whatever resonances we find, I think it's so important to look at it lovingly and hold it lovingly and not, you know, be disparaging or well, they're my bad bits, I have to fix those bits or I have to cut them off, which is even worse. But treat it with kindness. So uh, um, a piano has a massive range from the highest notes that are really quite squeaky to the very lowest ones and everything in between. And it's tempting to think that even if it's pleasant to the ear, that mid range, that's the only acceptable thing but how much poorer would we be if that were the only notes we were allowed to play and also just to say just uh, because people will be interested um we will post details about the retreats on in the show notes and and signpost you where you can go and find out more information about them and just to say they're they're obviously that you cater for individuals, groups, organizations, you know, you're, you're, you, you've got something for everybody. Yeah. And, and also I just want to uh, point out to our listeners that on the 26th, and this comes back to the animals a little bit as well. On the 26th of April, you are giving a talk um, on Eventbrite and it is, well, you tell us what it is. <laughs> okay. This event has um, kind of has been a product of many years of observation um, of my animals and animal behavior kind of elsewhere. And I love drawing patterns. And most there were a lot of studies that have been done about, you know, human behavior versus animal behavior, etc. What I think hasn't been done is and what interested me in the moment um, was the parallels between how we behave as business people, especially as business owners. Okay, and I distinguish that from corporate world, um, from investors. So I'm talking about people who run and manage their own businesses. What the similarities are with the animal world. Now, this is not to say that we all must become animals in the, in the traditional sense at all. It what I've observed over the years are a few funny and inspirational ways in which animals relate to each other and relate to their outside world that would um, that could help and guide us in the way that we manage ourselves 
in the world of business. I don't want to give away any of the content mm-hmm. uh, because some of it is, you know, it's quite funny and I don't want you to kind of think you've heard it all and then not come. Yeah, no, we we want to encourage people to 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 sign up, to come along. I'll talk about my animals a fair bit, what they do <clears throat> and what perils I draw. Now, this is not a scientific study whereby thousands of animals have been observed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they are my animals that I have observed and they're the, the links I've made. And ultimately, what I'll be talking about is connection. Connection to ourselves, connection to the others and to the wider world. And how sometimes we look at the animals and we learn to disinhibit a little bit. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, Ray, we talked about the strategies that don't work. Ultimately, and sometimes we we stop ourselves from displaying what would be an animal behavior because we don't think that's a polite thing to do. I'll give you one little example, and that of a peacock. Peacock attracts its mate by displaying beautiful feathers. Now, I know many, many, many business owners, especially women, and as women, we are terrible at it. We are not in the business of displaying feathers. You know, we think it's showy, we think it's inappropriate. But what if there was a a congruent way to display your feathers? You know, the one that is not going to contradict the way you see yourself in the world and, and how you connect with yourself. And those are the questions that I'd like to ask, you know, and I'd like to explore what would be a congruent way to be to compete because we all have to compete we, we can't pretend that we live in a lovely village where everyone um everyone does as much as they can and they will respect each other etc that's a pipe dream that's communism that doesn't exist and i grew up in in you know in the era of communism i've seen with the difference between ideas and what actually people do so I think we have to be cognizant of our own animal nature and be respectful of it. Again, in a way that is that is congruent, that isn't going to, you know, turn us into somebody that we're not going to respect. Alice, just in, in just to sort of close this particular episode, what books are you reading at the moment? Well... I'm toying with, with whether or not to share this. <clears throat> okay. Now, now <laughs> I'm interested. Because I've been listening to someone else's podcast, and you have to forgive me, I am absolutely terrible with names. So I'm going to mention a book now. I don't even know who it's by. Um, but I'm sure people will recognize it or can look it up. Anyway, during that podcast, somebody recommended a book and said it was fantastic. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to check it out I'm going to have a look so I bought it and I've downloaded it it's called 48 laws of power something similar and I found it quite shocking to start with we talked about the animal behavior and and in that book um the author is very honest about the strategies people employ to get to the top what is scary about this book is that it's a how-to book. It it It's a book that my initial thought was, oh my God, this teaches you how to be a sociopath. And I had a terrible aversion to it to start with. And I put it down and then I thought, 
I'm resonating negatively with it. I don't like it at all. I don't like what it's suggesting. Surely this is not right. And I sat in it for a few days and thought, actually, no, I'll go back to it because it, it resonated so badly. And maybe that was that was there was something about, you know, being able to get in touch with my own animal. Um, so through gritted teeth, I'm listening to it. And it makes me very sad on the one hand, um, because it it makes a lot of references about um, how power had been obtained in the past through betrayal, through not trusting anyone, through um, how kings failed, what mistakes they've made. And it's brutal stuff, absolutely brutal. But as I was listening to it, I, I remembered various episodes from my life where a similar sort of scenario played out and I was the victim of it because I didn't see it coming. I didn't see what was happening. I couldn't quite believe it. And I guess I was naive. And there's a part of me that's still quite naive. So I'm listening to this book through gritty teeth. I find it very educational. Uh, there's some very interesting lessons in, in group dynamic and actually the worst qualities of the human race. I think it's important to listen to something like this. Even if you, you know, you don't wake up and, and I hope you don't wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to be that person. But actually it makes us face the ugly, the ugly in us, you know, the, the brutal, selfish animal in us. And then, because we all have it, we all have that animal, you know, pushed, if we're pushed enough, if we're hungry enough, if we are desperate enough, we're going to resort to those tactics. If we suddenly lack a conscience, we're going to resort to those act, uh, to, 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 to those tactics and, and, and those actions. So I think we have to have a healthy respect for that part of us and that part in other people as well, and not kind of live in a in a la-la land of, you know, only flowers and fairies. And I speak for myself here, not mm -hmm. you. So there's a healthy respect, but there's also a choice. A lot of, a lot of self-awareness is about... Yeah, it is about healing. Yes, it is about feeling better. But ultimately, it's about making a choice of what what road am I going to go down? Is it door, door one or door two? If we are blind to the door two, that doesn't mean we don't choose it. We just don't see it coming. We don't see it approaching. We don't see it in us or other people. So I think it's important to see so that then we can make a choice that is right for us. There isn't going to be a you know, right choice for everyone. Of course, there isn't. But I think the more awareness we have, the more autonomy it will inspire. So there you go. Not quite a recommendation, but interesting read. Well, we'll certainly get the name of it and put it in the show notes for people to read because we don't we don't shy away from anything here. And sometimes the greatest learning is 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 marked by um, strong feelings of discomfort or whatever it might be. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely put that out there to people. If you could ask anybody any question, so from either current, future, past, what would you ask and who would you ask it of? <laughs> I believe there is a group of people who have been working for a long time on achieving peace within themselves but are also in connection with others. You know, so if you think about monks, you know, you can talk about, 
kind of the fact that they perhaps achieved peace within themselves and they're in connection with God. But I'm more interested in talking to people who have got there and and have a, a harmonious, positive and healthy connection with the world. In other words, I'd want to talk to people who are further along on the path than me and I'd want to learn from them. I'd want to be in their presence because, you know, we talked about the unconscious and that's fascinating stuff. The thing about the unconscious is very difficult to get there by yourself. So you need others who can help you with the resonance. We can notice the resonance when you don't notice it. You know, sometimes we have our body reacts in a certain way and we're not aware of it. And it's somebody who is willing to walk that path with me. I'm not really interested in celebrities or any of the big thinkers or big writers, because it's when you meet a person and you feel that they are further advanced, you know, that you feel that they, that you can learn something from them. That's the real encounter I want. I don't know what I would ask them, but I would want to tune my own instrument to a higher level in their presence. Does that make sense? Alice, is there anything else that you would that we haven't touched on that you would like to talk about before we finish? The theme for me today um, was to be accepted in terms of congruence. We talked about resonance in terms of trying to identify what what's your internal instrument is saying to you. We talked about perhaps some darker parts of ourselves, um, you know, the animal parts, the parts that compete and um, want dominance, want power. And we talked about connection. I would say that the road to connection, meaningful connection with another, is to connect with yourself first. And what I mean by that is we have to recognize and learn to see our various parts. And yeah, others can help us, but nobody can tell us what those various parts of us are. I make really good friends with them because there's a really good reason they're there. Really good reason. There are no bad parts. There is nothing to be cut off. There are parts perhaps that need to be understood better or seen better or forgiven or embraced. And we have this amazing ability to adapt and to transform ourselves. But we have to start with who we are in a kind of non-judgmental way. And it's only if we are connected up with ourselves that we can begin to resonate with another. Thank you very much. Thank you. Alice, it's been wonderful. Likewise. Can you handle the load that you were meant to carry? 